Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees. I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe place to grow in God's love. I support refugees because God made us all in God's image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylee named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my Lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the refugee resettlement and welcome ministry of the Episcopal Church. I'm Allison Duval, And I'm Kendall Martin. Allison and I recently had the opportunity to join the Diocese of West Texas for their Walk in Love Border Tour. The Walk in Love Border Tour highlighted some of the Episcopal ministries and humanitarian efforts in South Central Texas. The May 15th through 17th tour of Texas began in San Antonio and made stops along the U.S.-Mexico border in Roma, McAllen, and Brownsville. Today's episode features our interview with two of the participants with whom we work closely at the Episcopal Church. Lacey Bromell, who is the Refugee and Immigration Policy Advisor in the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations, and Jenny Grant, who is the Officer for Global Relations and Networking in the Episcopal Church's Office of Global Partnerships. Before we jump into our interview with Lacey and Jenny, Allison, what can you share with our listeners about your experience on the Walk and Love Border Tour? Yeah, so as listeners, as you'll hear in the interview that we do with uh, Lacey and Jenny coming up here shortly, the situation on the border is exceedingly complicated and ever-evolving and changing. So too are our government's policies as to how they're responding to so many asylum seekers approaching and um, entering the country at the border. So the primary things that I've reflected upon since being in West Texas are that in the midst of such a politically divisive issue and so much rancor, the people of the church, the body of Christ, are on the ground doing the work of Jesus for people in deep and desperate need. Um, The church is being the church, and the church is doing gospel work. So I think that's the most important thing to hold in our mind's eye as we think about what's going on at the border. If any one of us is met with somebody in deep and desperate human need, we must respond with the love of Christ and respond to the needs of that person in front of us. And that's what our brothers and sisters in Christ along the border are doing every day. And something I hope, Kendall, that we can, through Partners and Welcome, you know, inspire people all across the country, in the interior, um, folks who are not on the borderlands to to consider and discern as well how they respond to the person in front of them who is in need. What did you take away from the border tour? Uh, I think along the same lines of what you're saying, I think I was just really inspired by the people in the church who can see no other way but to show up. I mean, folks who are taking meals three times a day across the bridge, no matter what, and they're having to fundraise and they're having to work hard to find donations and get what they need. And so it's, it's not like this easy task before people who are doing the work. It's just that they feel so called to the work and it's such a huge part of their faith. And that was really powerful. And I think we got to experience serving breakfast on the Mexico side and we had an impromptu Eucharist, which was really powerful. It just like brought home for me this the whole concept of us all being one body and it, and no matter which side you're on, we are all of 
God's children and we are all obligated to care for one another. And I felt like that was really front and center. And I would also say that the Partners in Welcome network that we've created is a great way for people who either are already involved in the ministry or who want to support those ministries to connect with one another. Because if you're not down in Texas, but you really want to contribute to the meals that are being served, or you want to contribute diapers or wipes or all the things that people need, there's room and ability for you to participate in that way. And so I think that if you join the network, it's a great way for you to find out that information. The other thing I'd love for any listeners to know, and also especially if you're a Partners and Welcome member, if you're not, please join. (laughs) If you are, so glad that you're part of the community. One of the things that we at EMM are participating in, we're part of various national coalitions and calls, both around advocacy, but also around rec service, around creating resources that are needed at the local level. And one thing that I've become increasingly aware of participating in these different calls around asylum seekers at the border is that there's really no national infrastructure to support these increasing needs that we're seeing. The Refugee Resettlement Program has a long, you know, 40-year history with precedence decades prior to the Refugee Act of 1980, but the needs of asylum seekers at the border, there's no kind of national coordination. But there are organizations and coalitions who are well aware of that, and we are all working together to try to create some coordinated structure and response. Um, So, there's nothing I can unveil for you listeners today, but I would say that it's probably more important than ever <laughs> to join partners and welcome and pay attention to the communications coming out of EMM so that you know as coordinated efforts take root, as there are ways to respond in increasing and diverse ways, that you are hearing those messages um, that we are doing in concert with our other ecumenical interfaith and coalition partners. Um, We're all working together to get a sense of what's going on and how we can all best respond where we are. So yeah, just another plug for joining Partners in Welcome because that will be one of the primary ways we communicate out needs and make sense of this very complex and ever-changing issue. Listeners, we hope that you enjoy today's interview. Jesus dijo, yo soy el pan vivo que descendió del cielo. Si alguno comiere de, de este pan, irá para siempre. Y el pan que nos daré es mi carne, lo cual yo daré por la vida del mundo. Porque mi carne es verdadera comida y mi sangre es verdadera bebida. Es que come mi carne y bebe mi can- sangre, en mí permanece y yo en él. So Jenny and Lacey, can you tell our listeners why you went on this trip with the Diocese of West Texas and how it relates to the work that you currently do? Sure. So I'm the Refugee and Immigration Policy Advisor for the Episcopal Church in the Office of Government Relations. And I do a lot of work related to advocacy to Congress and the administration about asylum seekers, about humane and compassionate treatment to those who are either seeking protection at our borders or those who are simply entering the United States to have a better life and looking at some of the root causes of why people are being forced to come here in the first place and then what you know the U.S. government responses are to those persons. So this was actually my first time 
actually visiting the border and seeing what, you know, life is like there for people who live there to see what life is like for those who try to come here as asylum seekers um, and others. So for me, it was an opportunity to really get the reality of the actual things that are happening on the ground for the work that I do in D.C. and representing the church's policies related to border issues. And also just to get a sense of the ministries of what's going on in the Episcopal Church there Mm -hmm. so I could have a better sense and essentially be a stronger advocate on the hill when I'm talking about, you know, the importance of compassionate, humane treatment of asylum seekers. And in my capacity as the Officer for Global Relations and Networking, when Tatiana Hecker, who works with the Diocese of West Texas, told me about this possible trip that they were trying to bring together with bishops and people across the church, what was really exciting for me was that her role is global mission in the Diocese of West Texas. And I I think on our level, on the churchwide level, we've tried to make the connection between immigration and refugee resettlement and global mission. Mm. Um, But to see it happening on a local level and a parish level and a diocesan level um, was really exciting. It was an exciting opportunity to be present to a diocese who was participating in this work and also figure out how do we share that story more widely and encourage others who want to be involved to see this as a way of engaging with our partners around the world and around the Anglican communion, that this is a much broader, complex issue, that it exists at the border and it exists around the world. And there are people participating in all sorts of ministries to be that compassionate care on the ground. They want to learn more about advocacy and framing around what's happening. Um, So really, my role was kind of just, I wanted to go to help make that connection and bring it back to the wider church and the Anglican communion. So could you all tell us about what your biggest takeaway from the experience was? It could be personally or or even more professionally. For me, one of the biggest takeaways was just the complexity of of what's going on and and how the the different stories and the different narratives impact the communities on on all sides of the issue, both people seeking asylum, churches and communities working on our side of the border and on the Mexico side of the border. The complexity is so much more than I really understood and being able to see it and engage in conversation, people doing all different types of work, whether that's border patrol, whether that is feeding, whether that is housing, whether that is bus station, all of the all of the different pieces. Um, so I think just being able to engage in those conversations and ask questions and hear from people was a was a really big takeaway. And then also seeing how communities are coming together and using their resources and their gifts and offering what they have and working from this place of we have something to give. Mm-hmm. Um, we have something we can do. It was really neat to see the community of San Antonio in particular, how the government of San Antonio is involved, how local nonprofits and NGOs are coming together and really just working alongside each other to, to welcome and help people move wherever they need to move to. What about you, Lacey? I have a couple things to say that just what Jenny was saying reminded me that I just really appreciated that the Diocese of West Texas, their framing of the whole trip was walk in love border tour. So, you know, they consistently said like, you know, whatever side of the issue on your politically, um, whatever, whether you know, you know, everything about this issue, you've been an immigration lawyer for years, or whether you know nothing about this, you're just learning about it, maybe you've read something in the newspaper. The thing that we can agree on as people of faith is that we must, it is like a gospel mandate to respond to people with compassion. Mm-hmm. Any human being, anyone. That was just, it was really a center part of the trip that I really appreciated. 
because sometimes, you know, based in D.C., I can oftentimes sort of get into the like, well, you said this, you said that, or who's on this side of the issue, or where is it going to go? But to be reminded as I was seeing, you know, what on the ground, what was happening in the advocacy space on the Hill and the realities of what was going on there, it was reminding myself that and centering myself as a person of faith in the context was really important. As for my biggest takeaway, I just, it was like almost a slap in the face. It was so intense for me. It was just like the decisions that our governments make mm-hmm. have a difference in people's lives. Yeah. It just, that was like my biggest thing was that clearly the things that are being decided upon, like what Jenny said about in San Antonio, the government, you know, if you were a part of an Episcopal church who was engaging there and you really cared about this, like the decisions that the city council were making were going to impact what you cared about. Mm-hmm. And then of course, if you're an asylum seeker and you were coming through San Antonio you're in the bus ministry and you needed the resource center, you needed health care because the San Antonio City Council had decided that they were going to invest in funds for clean, safe housing for these people, for opportunities for safe health care. They clinic. were going to get it. The clinic. Yeah. I just that was really apparent. And then, you know, there are decisions that make things better or they make things worse and can increase or decrease human suffering. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was, to me, really like a gut punch of just truly that the decisions that government and elected officials make actually have real impacts on people's lives. One more thing was the commitment I feel like we saw and got to interact with with the people in Brownsville, especially with Team Brownsville. People are walking across the border twice a day, every single day, to feed the people who are waiting on the Mexico side. And I mean, for us, it was really easy to walk across the border. Once, it was hot. We carried our coolers and the the wagons, but the fact that they're so committed to being that compassionate, welcoming group every single day, twice a day, was to me, that's a really big deal and something that I really want to make sure that we honor mm-hmm. as a church and as a people of faith. Yeah, that was amazing to see. And the, the self-sacrifice of that, mm-hmm. the care and, you know, recognizing the gifts that you have to bring to people that are right in front of you and then making those human relationships. It's not easy. It come, can come at a great cost, but, you know, it's important to do. So I think between both what we saw in San Antonio and then what we saw in Brownsville, people are responding in a litany of ways to address all of the issues and concerns that are happening around this. And so I'm curious, informed by the work that you do, how you think that we as individuals and churches or organizations can be responding to this mm-hmm. crisis. Well, I think, you know, you sort of hate to be like, okay, at first thing, this is like material needs. But I will say some of these groups that we were meeting with, they are providing a lot of things like food and, you know, backpacks, hygiene care, things like that. And I think there are opportunities Mm -hmm. to support them and sort of send material support from afar. So I would say for supporting human need, like that is something that's there. Um, In terms of advocacy, right now, Congress and the administration, it's a struggle, honestly, to see what the answer will be terms of how the U.S. will respond to this. I mean, the increase, you know, it's true that there is an increase of women and children and families. So not just, you know, mothers and and children, but also fathers and children, Um, but families and children, unaccompanied children units, those numbers are increasing. And our current system isn't quite developed to do that. Well, I know that the Episcopal Church wouldn't say that the answer is to then say, well, then stop all of these people from coming. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're coming here because they're fleeing violence. They're 
fleeing in corruption. They're fleeing unspeakable persecutions. The answer that the Episcopal Church would see through our policies in general convention, and again, coming from that sort of gospel mandate, the walk in love perspective, is what are the solutions that can provide humanitarian and critical support to these people in the best way? How can our systems essentially be revamped to, you know, welcome them, have them go through their case, of course, see a judge, eventually get their asylum case determined, and make sure that they are cared for throughout um, and that they not be mistreated or, you know, in any way left to further traumas that they've already experienced. And so I think that that discussion, as I said, that sort of struggle is on the table of how we're going to respond to this as a country and through our policies. What are the policies that are going to be made that are going to impact these people's lives? So I think advocacy through the Episcopal Public Policy Network is a great opportunity to contact your elected officials and sort of lay out opportunities for engagement. We've been doing a significant amount of advocacy and partnership with other groups groups to talk about, you know, what are oftentimes its financial needs. So how is the money being used to actively, you know, support these people and their humanitarian needs? Um, What do the court systems look like? And we're trying to have an influence on that discussion about what the policies will be. Um, I think something too is education. As I said, my big takeaway was the complexity of the issue. And I think that what we can do and offer as a church is really educate ourselves um, and I think Partners in Welcome and the Love God, Love Neighbor work that's been going on is a really important way that we can educate ourselves, which equips us to be advocates mm-hmm. around around this issue and what we can do. And it also, I think, connects us to the people who are doing the work. And if we're connected to those people who are on the border and doing the work, then we can be another part of the supply chain and another part of the way that they are meeting the needs, the immediate needs that exist. I don't think it's a time for everyone to flock to the border. So mm-hmm. I, I and I think that this trip really opened my eyes to ways in which we can all be involved around the country and really around the world because this policy it's affecting the US but it's affecting our partners in the countries where people are fleeing as well. So it's it's a time to reach out and a time to educate ourselves around the issue and around who is involved. And I just, you could probably speak more to this, but it is amazing what, you know, the diocese in Central America and really around the world are doing in terms of working to make these places better so people don't have to leave. I think that that we can't forget that that is actively happening and is really amazing work. Yeah, and I mean, the Episcopal Church, there are churches all around the U.S. that have companion relationships with these different dioceses and these different provinces. So working, figuring out ways that they can work with our partners to say, like, what is it that we need to know? What is it that we need to do that we can be supportive for the work that you're doing? Because there are, they're, they're, they're educating their own people around their rights and around advocating in their own governments. And I think that we can be a support if we know how. And I think that's asking and reaching out. I think another general takeaway that I've been thinking about and that I know is true, but being there really made it apparent. You know, so often we sort of hear about the border. It's like wild, wild west, or it's this kind of like monolithic, scary, dangerous place. And that just was not the case at all. And it was interesting even being in McAllen versus Brownsville, which are fairly, what's like 45 minute drive apart. Something like that. An hour, something like Mm -hmm. that. You know, it was interesting. Some of the folks that we talked to in McAllen, including border patrol or ranchers there or, you know, church people would say, 
oh, yeah, we don't know what's going on in Brownsville. That's a different context. Like, even that close, the situations that's happening at, at the ports of entry, between ports of entry with the local communities, it's so different. And so it was a good reminder that sometimes the way we think about the border, it was mm-hmm. just, it's completely nuanced. It's comprised of so many different people in different communities with, you know, their own challenges, but their own sort of gifts and goings on. And I thought that was kind of neat to be reminded of. I think that's really helpful because I think we're susceptible to <laughs> buying into what we're fed by the media about what's happening mm-hmm. in different places. But as evidenced by when we were down there feeding breakfast, all of the folks just lined up quietly. Every single person said thank you as they got their food. And it was not chaotic. Like it was community. It was people together. And it was not all of the images that you see because you're only getting one viewpoint. Like every community is different in the same way that every asylum seeker is different. Mm-hmm. They're all fleeing <laughs> something They're not all from one place. They're not all from one community. Every single story is different. And I wish that I could speak Spanish fluently. Um, I think that would have been really helpful. But just the stories that we could hear, everyone was different and everyone has their own story. And it's not one story either in one person. It's we're all whole people. And that was really clear. We're all whole people and we work together and it's a community effort. And I think that that's a really good reminder that when we do hear things in the media or when we see things that it's not one single story. Yeah, it's not that. Oh, definitely. It's not one single story. I think the other thing, though, that I will that was a little challenging is sort of the exposure and just a a viewing of serious human need. And some of the things that we have seen in the media of like the photos of people living under bridges or Or dying in the desert or or overcrowding in Border Patrol. I mean, that is real. Those things are real. Mm -hmm. And we saw a small sliver of that. I think as a person of faith, just personally, not professionally, but personally, I've sort of been struggling with that of like, you know, viewing it and then how do you sort of engage and, but then I guess getting back to the professional and the policies though, what are the policies that are leading to that or how could we do it better to alleviate that great suffering? Cause it's definitely there. I think we're all susceptible to compassion fatigue. And so uh, yeah. one of the ways I think that we overcome that is by just action steps. Like what can you be doing? You could be calling your son or you can be writing a letter, you can join the Episcopal Public Policy Network. I think that's a good way to override that fatigue you get from seeing those images that are just so hard to grapple with. Yeah, it's true. And there are six, I mean, success is kind of a weird word, but there are also hopeful stories, like working with Team Brownsville folks and the people with the diocese who have met people on one side of the border and then seen them when they've gotten across mm. and like watched, helped them get to their family, you know, wherever they are. So there are little glimpses of hope, I think, mm-hmm. too, that we can't forget. And that will also, I think, at least for me, help me move forward with it to know that, yes, there's a lot of terrible things happening and the policies do impact people's humanity in their life. And there are glimpses of hope and there are success or good stories that come out of it. And people are people are moving, maybe not as quickly or as humanely as we like. This podcast has done, I think, good in efforts in covering sort of also the what happens like once somebody because the folks that we saw we're either on the Mexico side of the border waiting because they're being forced to wait to enter and cross the United States, present themselves for asylum, often are in detention down there, and then in San Antonio, are then usually waiting at a bus station or sometimes they're flying to reunite with family mm-hmm. wherever in the United States. That's a very, very sort of quick assessment of <laughs> it's like a very specific individual and long and sometimes 
traumatizing processes. But that's just to say that there also are things that like, because Jenny was saying, like, you don't need to go, you know, flood the border. And like, you know, these groups are sort of well staffed and all of that. And, you know, that's not the solution. But there are things in your community that likely a lot of these asylum seekers might be ending up in your cities or your mm-hmm. states um, and that hometown and EMM has worked with several groups on on that accompaniment for asylum seekers to make sure that they're accessing legal resources, mm-hmm. to make sure that they're accessing, you know, oftentimes social workers, getting children enrolled in school. Again, healthcare needs are often uh, serious as well as, you know, mental health needs. So that's another way to plug in that I think, you know, that we I think we sort of saw almost like the very beginning of a story of mm-hmm. protection. Um, mm-hmm. And that it goes a lot, lot longer. You know, there was that I actually haven't even fully read it. But the New York Times piece about they followed somebody from, I think, San Antonio to Nashville on oh, wow. the Greyhound bus. Did y'all read this? Mm-mm. OK, so it was recent. I haven't read it yet, but they followed a family who took that bus ride. Oh, wow. And so that's happening in a lot of places. And, you know, you've you've covered it and talked about it on the podcast about what accompaniment looks like in different places. That was a few episodes ago. And that I mean, that's a good point to raise that there are things that we if we live in the interior of the U.S., we can be doing to support that efforts that people are undertaking at the border Mm -hmm. and in the borderlands. We don't have to go down to the border to support the work that people on the ground are doing. But those of us in the interior can pay attention to how can I support asylum seekers who are coming to rejoin family members in my hometown? So how do we connect um, Episcopalians in Nashville, as an example, or Lexington, Kentucky, or Iowa, or Seattle, Washington, near the northern border, Mm -hmm. um, with the needs of asylum seekers who are coming to join family members there? So that's something that we hope all listeners kind of pay attention to. In the next few months, EMM will be putting out an Episcopal version of a congregational toolkit for congregations that want to accompany asylum seekers. Um, So stay tuned for that, because that's a need that many congregations in the interior, um, they want to fill the need to support people who are coming. And it's just needing the tools and the knowledge, the how-to knowledge. And the relationships, like centering on genuine, honest relationship building and respect for other people Mm -hmm. is centering on that is good. And I think Bishop Anne of North Carolina being with us talked a little bit about that as we went through because her understanding was, you know, these people are coming to North Carolina, coming into our churches and we want to be good neighbors and good support and invite them in. And how do we do that welcome well? And meet their very unique needs. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's a unique group and but they they are welcomed into a community and they're they become part of the life of the church and part of the life of the community. And so I think being able to see a small piece of the journey that has gotten them to where they are just helps build our understanding and build our like, perspective of the context in order to welcome them in a better way. And I think, you know, we all, or at least I felt this way, and I had some conversations with other people on the trip in that I imagine for listeners and Episcopalians, it feels like, oh my God, okay, what are the, what's the facts though? What's really happening? Like I'm hearing this person say this thing, hearing this person say this thing. And we on the trip heard conflicting things at different times. Mm-hmm. So I would just also say, as you're sort of getting interested in this and you want to figure out how to do more is do do be curious and mm-hmm. keep an open heart and mind to all sides of course mm-hmm. but then centering on your faith and faith faith perspectives I felt pretty I actually felt really great about the Episcopal Church's policies on this issue that, of course, you know, we need to have security and we need to protect against people who are trafficking, whether it's drugs or humans or coming to do harm. Those very serious protections and systems that are in place and should be there should not come at the cost of 
preventing you know, protection preventing protection you know that there's that balance that like you're constantly trying to address so i think be curious and open and then you know plug for joining the partners and welcome portal truly is that we do have a lot of resources on this emm yeah. and my office office of government relations we do cultivate a lot of resources that try to give you a background of like here are the steps mm-hmm. um here's you know how this process usually works and you know what you can kind of look at and sometimes that is fact checking a lot of times it's almost like rhetoric checking Mm. um that there's such a so in so many contexts and certain persons will speak so harshly against asylum seekers or say you know these asylum seekers are illegal immigrants or illegal aliens when in fact they're exercising a legal right to go through the asylum process so that rhetoric checking, I think, can be important and being like, oh, okay, like that's who we're talking about or mm-hmm. that makes me feel like I understand the system a little bit better. And then also even those who are coming here, maybe they're not asylum seekers, but they're coming for a job or to reunite with family or something like that. Okay, now I understand their context and, and that system as well. So it is a lot of digging. It's a lot. It's complex. I think we all came away thinking, wow, it's really complex but there is learning and like things to do and things to engage with I thought it was really good to for myself getting outside of my my own self-imposed opinion bubble yeah we all live within our own self-imposed opinion bubble so it's always so helpful to get out and talk to people whose life experience and the rhetoric that they perhaps are hearing more regularly than I would are very different and to kind of like you said try to form a relationship and come to some sense of understanding of the humanity of the person with whom I might disagree but who has their own, they are whole, wholly human as well. And their perspective came from somewhere. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you both so much for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you for the work that you do. And it was great to be with you in West Texas. Thanks. Yeah. Thank it was you. A good, it was a good trip. It was nice. Yeah. It's always good to travel with y'all and ask questions together. And, you know, I think we're all continuing to do that. It was good. Yeah. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Do you have a question about how to be most helpful in serving refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers? Are you interested in sharing your work or your congregation's work? Are you eager to make connections with other people who are doing the same kind of work and learn from one another? If so, we invite you to join Partners in Welcome, a free online community that offers a chance for engaging conversation, connection with people all over the country who care about these issues, and a wealth of resources and learning opportunities. We have so much to gain from sharing information and experiences with one another. Sign up today at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash partners in welcome. Follow EMM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where we are EMM refugees. Join in the work of welcome by making a donation to Episcopal Migration Ministries. No gift is too small and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors. Visit EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Our theme song composer is Abraham Mawinda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahammawinda.bandcamp.com. And if you happen to be in the Washington, D.C. area on Saturday, June 29th, that is the second annual One Journey Festival on the grounds of Washington National Cathedral, where Abraham Mawinda is going to be a headliner. So please check out the One Journey Festival Saturday, June 29th on the grounds of the Washington National Cathedral. Until next time, peace be with you and all those you consider home. And it's like that, hey, you gotta see.